Hello, everyone. You have joined us for our Social Causes Fridays. I'm that girl, Jenna Karasova. It is July 1st, 2022. At any point you're consuming this content, I can only hope you're doing well. And as always, I apologize in advance if I waste your time. So we're going through our book, Forces of Habit, Drugs in the Making of the Modern World by David T. Courtright. We're currently in Chapter 3. I'm going to break this up into two parts. So we're in Part 1 for this week. July 1st again, 2022, Social Causes Friday. So the question is, we're gonna be discussing the puzzlement of distribution. So why certain psychoactive um, drugs were world's global cash crops and why certain ones were not. This is what we're gonna be talking about today. So three major talking points, introduction to problems of distribution, morale around hallucinogens, and number three, coping with life. So we're going to really dwell into a little bit of the morale issues as well as um, circumstances around people's lives, what was going on, why these people were using it, why they weren't using it, and again, why some things became cash crops, world commodities, and why other ones were suppressed. So stay tuned, and we're going to jump straight into our first segment. Here we are. So an introduction to the problems of distribution. It's already been discussed. We've gone through um, morphine, cannabis, wine, spirits, tobacco, tea, caffeine, chocolate, coca, um, opium, all these different global products, cash crops that have been pretty much world famous and has pretty much stood the test of time. Coca has still remained um, a global transatlantic commodity, but there are dozens of substances, other substances with psychoactive properties never achieved worldwide production and use. So the question is why? So one of the answers that the authors poised here is the um, European distribution engine, essentially. Neurologist Oliver Sacks, he wrote positively about kava, which is a beverage um, wide use through Oceania, Oceania um, but contained mostly to the Pacific Islands. And then another one, betel quid chewing, um, with stimulants that are similar to that of tobacco, is also limited mostly to East Africa, Eastern Asia, and Western Pacific. So, the question is again, why haven't these been worldwide global commodities? Um, one of the main reasons they say is that psychoactive substances first had to mesh with um, Europe's standards of what they considered medicine, recreational drugs, um, or trade goods. And then four centuries before Columbus, I'm sorry, after Columbus, so four centuries after Columbus, the cash crops were transported via merchants, colonizers, um, seamen from Portugal, Spain, France, and Holland. So favoritism to some, and that stemmed in part to initial aversion. So some unfavorable reactions to some of the users was what's kind of prohibited or slowed down progression of these trades. But also, Another contributing factor was the undesirable cosmetic effects. Vanity, underrated factor of human history, contributing factor to suppression on some psychoactive substances. So, in 1499, the first European to record observations, he stated, and this is um, something that I'll talk a little bit more on, but on page 55, it's quoted saying, observation, ugliest and most bestial people he had ever seen. Uh, apparently, kava drinkers, perpetual drinkers, developed hard, scaly skin that was reported. Um, betel stains the teeth black. The lime in the quid removes calcium. It causes inflamed gums, which produces teeth loss. So, 
apparently um, the people who use these did not look pretty enough for the European, so another reason to avoid spreading them. And then also logistical drawbacks. For example, coca was delayed because of perishi uh, perishability problems. And then another one close to amphetamine, quat, or sorry, cot, it's Q-A-T pronounced cot. And that was delayed in shipment due to mostly, again, loss of potency. It was not able to hold on to its, um, its use very long. So that's one of the reasons why it got suppressed or was not spread out. So essentially, it was European preference. They had the technology, and they were out there colonizing and spreading stuff around preference and then cosmetic effects, and then logistical drawbacks. So that's just the first segment. We're going to jump into another portion right here, the morale around hallucinogens. So segment two is going to be a little bit more of a heavier topic. Um, we kind of have to get into the morality of these issues a bit. One of the reasons why we're doing these social causes discussions, especially right now around controlled substances, drug use, the history of them, very, very important to understand the mistakes in the past, what we can learn from them, and what we're doing now, compare and contrast. Okay, so the morale around the hallucinogens. Non-material factors attributed to Europe's judgment due to uh, mostly the Christian background aspects. They were suspicious of any type of chemical shortcut and altered states, especially associated with the Amerindians. So on page 56, um, culturally programmed to seek out substances that would help them slip into ecstatic trances. So that's one quote. So Amerindians, they say, discovered some 100 hallucinogenic plants, peyote, very, very well-known popular um, mescal beans, morning glory seeds, and some others, just to list a few. So despite being essentially in the psychedelic Eden, <laughs> according to um, ethnobotanist Peter First, the hallucinogenic plants seen as instruments of the devil and obstacles to conversion. So missionaries are trying to convert and then they're using these, I guess, things and they're just like, eh, it's kind of like bringing out the devil in their theory. So page 56. Um, so there was clear supernatural effects that this gentleman, um, Mr. First, observed. But the thing is, Christ was missing from the Indian rituals, resulting in suppression and not being exported. However, though, tobacco was accepted. And um, one critic, James I King, he calling it adulterous. But um, many missionaries became addicted to tobacco. And as quoted saying also on page 57, no colonist could escape... <laughs> the exposure to tobacco, to tobacco. I find that funny. So, um, the Europeans approved of tobacco because it didn't necessarily entail hallucinogens, while peyote always did. And on also page 57, it says, the Christian, civilized, rationalizing Europeans were uninterested in the shaky blast-off to the spirit world. So, aversion is still evident in lands where Christian missionaries remain active. And this is kind of where I was going to take a little bunny trail and personal commentary alongside the book, what we've just discussed. So, I kind of, again, pulled out the highlights. The chapter is not too long, but I wanted to break it up into two sections. So, next week we'll continue the second portion. But the idea of the morality around these things. So... Some people claim it was a spiritual, supernatural experience. They were going into the alternate worlds, getting into the spirit realm, and having their different type of rituals. You've got Christian colonizers or Christian missionaries who are, like, avoiding it because essentially, you know, you're, what is the quote saying? Oh, the devil 
It says hallucinogenic plants seen as instruments of the devil and obstacles to conversion. So, and then clear supernatural effects, Christ missing from Indian rituals resulting in suppression and not exported. This is a difficult one, especially even in modern day society, talking about any, any form of controlled use and the morality behind it. Like some Christians believe you shouldn't drink, some believe that it's okay not to get drunk. Some people say you can't use anything like that would alter your state of mind. Other people are like, do what you feel is best for you. Personal conviction. There's plenty of verses that'll go through, you know, not everything is profitable, but everything is lawful. It's not beneficial, but it's not doing anything. So this is where um, individual conviction is very, very important. Personally, as a Christian, it's difficult to answer this question. Um, to be perfectly honest, um, I don't really have a definitive answer because um, I've never used any of these substances. I don't really know. So this is why we're kind of going through the history and learning. Um, so it's more of, I'm putting a lot of food for thought out there, a lot of curveballs. I don't have a definitive, I can definitely say probably not a good idea. Um, I always plead the blood of Christ, pray the Lord's Prayer, ask for the Lord. If you believe that the Holy Spirit is real and He dwells in you, um, it'll convict your spirit and your conscience. So that's pretty much all I have to really say about that aspect of it. It's kind of disheartening though that, um, like I mentioned earlier, the description we talked about the um, cosmetic effects and the quote on page 55. Now let me just pull it up directly because I didn't put the gentleman's name in the notes. So let me give credit where credit is due for this very, very, um, okay, let me see if I can even pronounce it. All right. Amerigo, A-M-E-R-I-G-O, Vespucci, V-E-S-P-U-C-C-I, recorded his observations of coca chewers, the first European to do so. And then he goes on, goes on to say, their cheeks bulge with the mysterious herb, chewed in cud-like fashion. He declared them the ugliest and most bestial people he'd ever seen. And so we've got this very, I consider it very judgmental, harsh critic over aesthetics. And then now talking about um, Mare Indians and their, their form of worship and rituals and understanding. Um, it's very difficult to sit here and honestly um, not... Be a little bit concerned about the harsh criticism of the European uh, colonizers, settlers, or missionaries. So this is where it's definitely a moral conundrum for myself. Personally, what's been documented historically, how the treatment versus having the, the New Testament and how we're supposed to treat others as Christians. So. Um, also, I can't say right now for fact that these psychoactive properties and these different types of experiences that they've had is necessarily invoking or bringing up the devil. We can say anything that is not of Christ essentially is, you know, but again, this is again just information, facts out there. If you want to get into more discussion, please feel free to hit me up, send me a message. Um, on one of my socials, and we can get more into this discussion. But again, this is just a history, a little bit of my own personal commentary. Um, kind of torn with that one, admittedly. But there's a lot more to be discussed, and we'll have more discussions like this where I can give you a little bit more backing or details of, or form more of a, a firm opinion 
on this very sensitive topic. So with that, let's just kind of transition to our final segment, which is also very, very fascinating and why I wanted to spend a little bit more time with this, with this chapter and specifically, because uh, when we do the second half of it, we're going to wrap everything up and we'll have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned. Okay, so um, now for the good stuff. Segment three, coping with life. And then I quoted um, one piece from a contributing historian called Bread of Dreams. So let me see if I can pronounce this. Piero Camparossi. One influential scholar believed their hallucinogenic experiences were not religious, and he describes um, early modern world as hellish, with perpetual hunger, disease, mass suffering from protein and vitamin deficiencies. So I'm definitely big on the vitamin deficiency discussion, so I can kind of understand that. On page 58, there's a list of other things. The deliria of fevers, the festering of wounds, ulcers, gangrene, harmful effects of ignoble breads. So it was a hallucination, hallucination scenario. So Camperosi's theory that bread had been poisoned. Paradoxically, absence of bread could also induce hallucinations due to starvation, prohibiting the enzymes, hindering um, normal brain function. So there's this fungus, um, let me see if I can pronounce it right. I think I pronounced it right. I've never actually heard of this term before, ergo fungus, or ergo, E-R-G-O-T fungus, or ergot, or ergo, I'm, I'm guessing, I didn't look it up, but I apologize for that, but it's spelled E-R-G-O-T fungus, I put the, a link in there if you want to look that up later on on your own, so his theory was that bread had been poisoned, and that was causing the hallucinogenic effects, and it wasn't a religious thing, so whether starved or contaminated, a huge stratum of the poorest part of the population lived in a universe completely unreal of extrasensory perceptions. And then this fungus was capable of producing hallucinations, hallucinations death, debility, likely one source of unintended intoxication. So this fungus, it flourished on rye crops around the winter and wet spring until about the 1660s when the Europeans started to substitute it with wheat potatoes, maize, and then essentially the ergotism subsided. But also, the spread of distilling detoxified this um, ergotic grain and helped to reduce the poisonings. So, the real value of this gentleman, Camperosi's work, is that it underlines, this is really important, so I wanted to break this up, it underlines the dire, the dire utility of psychoactive substances helping peasants and workers cope with lives lived on the verge of the unlivable. And that's page 59, that quote. So pretty much it really was a coping drug. Some of these. Page 59, also another quote directly. Coping drugs that did not entail hallucinations could have been of greater value to the gentry who controlled peasant labor. So you've got the colonizers, the people on the plantation, the slave owners, what have you, they're the ones that are deciding what drugs you can use while working. So the ones that didn't have the psychoactive or the hallucinogenic effects probably weren't going to be used or popularized because um, obviously, you know, people are going to be too high to work, I guess. 
So, but the rapid growth of distilling and tobacco took place during the general crisis of the 17th century. So, um, they say those born between 1590 and 1600 and lived through, they managed to live through inflation, unemployment, pestilence, frigid weather, crop failures, riots, massacres, murders, um, and we listed all the other diseases too, um, gangrene, fevers, a whole bunch of stuff. Just really, really harsh living conditions. But the author says, plainly put, these were people who could use a drink or a smoke. <laughs> so I find that funny because um, we have so many people, modern day society included, Again, why we have these discussions, why are people on drugs? Why, are, why would you rather stay on drugs as opposed to stay sober and live a happy, quote unquote, happy functioning life? Well, unemployment. That was a problem back then, 1500s, 1600s, it's a problem today. Unemployment, poor health, nutritional deficiencies, uh, depression, just work, extreme work conditions, especially if you're um, forced to work on a plantation, slave labor, um, peasants, poor people, people with disabilities, what have you. So bringing back into the first section, the gentleman who made the comment about how the people looked, commenting on their aesthetic, that's kind of where I was like, okay, dude, like you and your little, I want to say bougie self, but it was like your judgmental self, harsh criticism, despite realizing like there's a lot of things that made life really difficult and hard for people to live and they found things and ways to cope so again this isn't a matter of should you or should you not it's a matter of if you are why or if you're not and you're wondering why people do these things here there are the reasons this is what we're going through the history about so, again, not a matter of like, oh, you shouldn't do drugs, or you should do drugs, or like, I'm totally pro every drug, or I'm against every drug. Like, I'm not against caffeine and coffee, I'm not against chocolate, you know, if you have serious surgery, you might want some morphine for that, um, because we have it, you know, like if you got a gunshot wound, you might want something a little bit stronger than um, a cigarette. I mean, people were suffering very, very terribly. People are suffering now. So we have a lot of the modern conveniences of the world, yet we're still seeing unemployment, we're still seeing war, we're still seeing murders, we're still seeing sicknesses and diseases and ailments. We're doing better, but we do have people who are severely addicted to drugs, debilitating to the point where they can't function without them. So this is a question of what, how do we handle this? Do we just completely go cold turkey and quit everything? Does the government need to shut down every single drug and say you can't use it? Or do we need to regulate things differently? Do people need better coping skills or coping mechanisms? Should we um, treat the nutritional deficiencies or protein deficiencies differently? And as we continue reading on this segment, we're going to talk more about the benefits of certain things and how just because back then it wasn't um, a global commodity it doesn't mean that in modern day things can't change so I'm looking forward to continuing this segment or this chapter with you guys for the second portion to wrap everything up and um, really get a good discussion so I'm looking forward to it I can't wait so as always I thank you so much for who's ever tuned in I've been your host that girl Jenny Kirisoa for our Friday social causes discussions going through 
Forces of Habit, Drugs in the Making of the Modern World by David T. Courtright, a very, very talented um, history professor and author. Very, very um, appreciative of this, and I'm looking forward to continuing discussions about what's going on in our society, why we are where we're at today, what, why we do what we do, and why certain drugs are popular and why certain ones aren't, the different effects and societal responses to them. Um, so, as also, um, if anyone has felt compelled or led in your heart to contribute to this channel, greatly appreciate it. I'll put the um, Cash App link in the description, and I appreciate those who have tuned in. And as always, God's peace.